So something is valuable for you if it gives you more than it takes from you to get it. So it's as simple as that. Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jonathan Edwards and joining me, as always, my co-hosts, Jan Vermouth and Scott Burleson. The concept of value lies at the heart of innovation. Some would even define innovation as creating something new that has value. But what is value and how can we create it? Our guest today is Olaf Dehemmer-Gudme. Olaf is a certified trainer in value management and value analysis, a consultant and a lecturer who's lectured at numerous universities and business schools in France and Switzerland. He's the former president of the AFAV, the French Association for Value Analysis, a network of value professionals and the co-founder of the Value University and of the Swiss Value Association. He's also the co-author of the book, What Is It For? And the author slash curator of the book, Valeur et Management, or Values and Management in English, which is unfortunately not yet available in English. And he is currently working on a new book in French uh, for the moment, presenting a lot more applications in all domains. Interestingly, Olaf has a background in agronomy engineering. So hello, Olaf, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Jonathan. I'm so, glad to share this moment with you. So the first question I had was, I, I was quite interested by this background of in agronomy engineering. So how how does one go from agronomy engineering to basically working in the innovation space and, and trying to understand value? Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's a good question. I didn't ask myself for a long time, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I was agronomical engineer in, well, 35 years ago. So it's a long time ago, but as far as I remember, I always wanted to be consultants. And I've been consultant in biotechnology at that time. And since then, I, I jumped from, well, you know, professional step uh, one after the other. Uh, what I like is to help people do better what they have to do. And the agronomy background um, is based on life sciences. And it's probably the, if I had to do it again, I, I'll do the same. It's the best background to attack engineering issues with life in mind, which is, well, today obvious. <laughs> well, so today I'm looking for value. Well, make better things for human being in life in general, if I, yeah. if I can say it like that. And what is interesting, if I hopefully we'll have time to discuss it, but this uh, book of yours called What Is It For has as a subtitle, a system approach for value with an S in parenthesis. Yeah. Um, 
And I imagine there's also a lot of connections between agronomy and thinking about systems. So maybe we can also get into this a bit later in our mm -hmm. discussion. So maybe I, I just wanted to start with a very um, simple to ask, probably not so simple to answer question, which is mm -hmm. what is value? And also, I know you make the distinction between in one of your books, uh, so uh, values and management, valeur et management, uh -huh. uh, you make the distinction with values. Right. So what is value and what are values? Are they the same? What is the difference? Okay, thank you. Well, it's a good question. It, it could be simple. If, if, if I'm good today, it will be simple. Um, so let's try. Um, the value, it's, it's not a definition. I don't like definitions because it's closed. But the, the meaning of the word we, we use in value, uh, well, the value professionals I work with for dozens of years, um, understand the, the word value like this, uh, something has value for somebody if it delivers more than it costs to this person. So something is valuable for you if it gives you more than it takes from you to get it. So it's as simple as that. So the value of something is, um, well, for somebody, it's, it gives more than it takes. And the value of an object or a company is a, the company is valuable or the entity is valuable if it delivers more to the people around than it takes from them. So each one takes value from the interaction with the thing, being a product or service or company or whatever. And as you want with, a, I don't know, something you design, a product, for example, a service, and you want it to be valuable for somebody it has to cope or be in line with the values of that person. So you cannot create value for somebody if you are not aligned with his values, which are more human things, okay? And it's more philosophical, so to say. But this is the point. When, when, I, when I have people design things or redesign things with more value, we have to look at the people for whom we want to be valuable and, and take care about their values, which are different by essence. Different humans have different values and we have to respect them so that we create value for them and for us. And of course you don't, you cannot or you, you shouldn't forget your values in the process. Well, that was uh, very clear. For, to, for and a good basis for us to <laughs> keep uh, talking. So, okay. uh, the um, I I was just wondering. So in um, it, uh, well, actually, before going to, to that, let let's maybe just yeah. get into the 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 core of uh, the methodology or the, right. the 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 group of methodologies you yeah. you are a specialist in. Uh, so it's. I, I've as I was uh, preparing for mm -hmm. for this podcast, I, I there's there quite a few different terms that came about, and I, I was wondering already maybe if you could just tell us how you call what what you do this this let's say framework or methodology, right. um, and 
well, let's start with that. I mean, how would you call this uh, this framework? Uh, today, I, I I signed as values designer, with the S into brackets, so value values designer. Um, for two reasons, the first one is being a designer is cool these days. So, <laughs> this is just more modern, so to say. But I for forty for thirty years, I I design and redesign things. So I I I understood I'm a designer. I didn't know, but okay. So that's the word. Uh, the second thing is today I use this this world value design for the methodology because it's somewhat an evolution of methodologies that I learned 25 years ago that were developed for from the years 50, 1950, okay? So for 70, 75 years, it's, it has been developed. It was first called value analysis, so a bit more analysis for product design or redesign. And then you had multiple things like redesign to cost, which, which came around that. Uh, and and people understood that they also can apply that set of methods or, or mindset at least, not the same tools, to different things than just products and systems or technical physical systems. So it became more value management or value engineering first, because you have to design more than just the product in the engineering phase. And then they apply that to more um, company, corporate topics, organization things like that and it became value management which is actually the, the 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 application of that value thinking or method to every management issue you could have to solve so that's quite ambitious and so that was the latest version official version of the methodology which is uh, by the way uh, uh, subject of standards in France, Europe, USA, around the world. And there are standards in value management, which is explaining how you could use these value mindset methods and tools for management issue. Uh, what I do now for, I would say, more than 10 years now, is uh, try to simplify it come to the, to the roots of the thinking, which allows to apply to any issue. And it's becoming more a um, problem-solving methodology. So you could design or redesign a solution on every kind of issue. Uh, I know it because I did it, and I worked with specialists in methods that are not using the word value, but are using exactly the same mindset. The book you, you mentioned, Valor and Management, Values and Management, is um, a, a mosaic of 20-something methodologies, uh, which are today used for years, which have revolutionized their specific uh, domain of intervention in a company. And uh, when I met these specialists, we realized that we are doing exactly the same thing. But we are using exactly the same mindset in different scopes and perimeters and, and topics. So they are using different tools because they apply to their specific issue when you work on, on IT systems and on uh, uh, conflict resolution. You don't use the same tools. 
but we discovered that we use exactly the same mindset and and the mindset is the the value idea yeah so i think this uh, notion of you you mentioned a few words or so just to to recap so you talked about value engineering value analysis yeah. value management and i believe so yes as you mentioned these are very um, let's say, well, old is, I don't know if it's the right old term, but uh, they've, they've been around for a long time. And I, even the um, the project management book of knowledge, which is uh, uh, quite uh, reference, I, I know they mention value engineering too. Yeah. Uh, is, is there any... Uh, so I mean, what's the is there a difference between these things, or is is it just the terminology which changes? So is what what's value analysis, and how does it differ from value engineering? Let's say the top the the scope is broader in value engineering than value analysis, which has been designed to optimize products, artifacts. Okay, first to purchase them and then to design them. So. The, the the big the big um, success of the value methodologies came from uh, industrial companies like GE who invented it in the first place uh, in USA and all the industrial companies which grabbed that as a, a product design methodology which is absolutely efficient which was and still is but actually you know uh, methods have a have a life cycle too and and it happened with value analysis exactly what happened with the quality uh, issue it it made a, an enormous buzz and an enormous success in companies and then it becomes routine everybody has to do it so you do it like people tell you to do it and you forget to make it smart you use the tool you're trained to use the tool and you know how to make a quality manual but nobody in the company knows how to work with the quality mindset. They just have the book in the in the shelf. It happened the same with value analysis. And there were some, you know, rebirth when new people tried to understood that they could apply the same mindsets, and the same questions, and some of the same tools to new topics, and then they changed the name. But the 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 mindset the thinking is exactly the same exactly the same i really would like to change today from value management which is now even old fashioned in the in the value domain uh, to something more fresh like design because today design is fresh so i train designers to use the value mindset so we 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 say it's value design okay uh, the mindset is exactly the same, but we made a new, a refresh, so to say, a simplification and something which is more easy to grab and use with normal words, avoiding the, the jargon. You know, I don't like all these jargon and people tell you, oh, you are saying that, but this is not written like that in the standard. I don't care. Let's, let's, let's just think clearly and share understanding with words everybody uses so this is my my real fight so to say my real flag mm -hmm. i i think this phenomenon of uh, different methods being somewhat diluted or let's say 
as you as you said where people will start seeing them as recipes and mm-hmm. and and not have the you know the philosophy let's say of the the method in mind i think that that is something that everyone in the innovation space can uh, relate to because it happens yeah just about yeah. everywhere with agile with uh, everything and exactly say exactly. oh no you're not agile because you don't use the right mindset and this is not scrum and this is well okay let's innovate so <laughs> don't crystallize think rethink reboot i don't know <laughs> can you can you elaborate a bit on what are what are the things that make up that value mindset like are these some kind of things that you believe in or or kind of yeah. do you need to share that definition of value because I could imagine other definitions. So can you can you elaborate yeah. a bit on on, on what that of entails? Course. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's cool. That's the right moment because um, for me the simple thing is, as I mentioned, value is the balance perceived by somebody of what does it deliver to me and what is costing me, and that's a definite. Or there is a written definition in the standards and norms for dozens of years around that. That is the value is. The balance between um, need satisfaction and costs. Mm. So the more you satisfy needs, the more value you get. The more cost you have, the less value you get. And that's you see, this is exactly the same. The thing is, let's broaden this idea of need satisfaction to everything you could, uh, everything you're waiting from something or somebody which is not only money or functionalities or whatever, uh, beauty, uh, happiness, uh, you could wait for that. You, you, you're waiting for that. And, and the cost point is it can be money, of course, but money is only one way to understand costs. And, and you could discuss about cost. What mm-hmm. is the cost uh, for years? Okay, I train people on that. Um, but the cost... The time you spent, the energy you spent, the skills you spent, the discomfort you spent, the whatever you want to save. And then, of course, what is obvious today, but which is in the frame of the value mindset for since I know it, so 25 years ago minimum, is the environmental impact and the social impact. Because the cost of things is linked to things which are not harming uh, uh, the money the people get, but the resources from nature. And yeah. since the beginning, we we involved in the value, the optimization of value of something, we included costs and time and discomfort and uh, extraction and resources and pollution and whatever and um, working conditions for the operator which are involved etc so you know the cost is covering everything that is costing to people to get something and the benefit is everything that could benefit you so how do we grab that because it's, it's so it's so enormous mm. and what i use is to be sure you know that you deliver value, you will ask the question, what for is the thing you want to improve? And you ask the question, what for to the people to whom it will benefit? Okay. And you ask yeah. them and they will tell you, what for is it for you? 
And so you will design the thing according to what they are waiting for and nothing else. But this is, you know, we speak about responsibility. This is respond to the needs of the people. So if you take care, who are you responding his need? Then you become responsible in your design. It's just as simple as that. And of course, you have the purchaser, the user, etc. But the thing you are designing is also answering the needs of the supplier. It's entering the need of the operator who manufactured it. It's opening the need of the people who will have to um, repair the thing when it's broken. Uh, the people who will have to uh, get rid of the thing when, it, when its life is over. So you see that the, the whole scope of responsibility is if you look at all the people which are waiting, from, waiting for something from the solution you are designing across its whole life cycle, then you become responsible. And the second word is sobriety, which is the big word in France, you know, sobriety, cool. I have a second question is to be sure you are sober. Ask yourself, what is enough to answer the needs that you discovered when you ask the people, what for is it for you? If you ask somebody, what's, what for is it for you? They will explain you their need, which is very difficult to explain usually. So this question is helping a lot. That, that's the title of my first, well, that the, the book is what for, because it's, it's the central question of everything. Mm. It's not the why of Simon Sinek, which is just great, but it's not the right question. It's it just missed the right question. The, the answers are the right one, but the right question is not why, it's what for. Well, okay. He did more views than I will ever have on, on, on YouTube, so <laughs> respect. <laughs> cool. Just sorry, Simon, if you had told what for it would have been so cool. So that's my first question. When, when you have the answer to what for, somebody tells you, well, this is for this. I want it for this. Then you ask yourself, what is enough to cover that need? And so you are sober in your response to the need of the people. And all these value mindsets today, I, I, I resume it. I, I synthesize it in these two questions. The first one is what for? If you have to improve something, ask you what for? And then to answer that question, what for? You have to just see for whom is it? And ask them what for for them. It's as simple as that. And when you have an answer, you take that answer and say, okay, so let's design the solution that is enough to do that. So what is enough to cope with that need? And you ask that question to the people who have the answer, which are never on the user side. They know some of the answers, of course, and they ask for it, but they don't know the right ones, of course. So... The, the thing is, this value mindset is using one question, which is on the user, beneficiary, people waiting from something. Okay, what for you? And when you have the answers by these people, you go to the other side of the world, which is the supplier side. The people who know the, the solutions for each of the need. And then you go to the 
So the theory is very simple. is two questions, what for? What is enough for each what for? And only one principle is to, end these, to answer these two questions with the people who know the answer, mm. which sounds stupid, but so I, I, I never found simpler way. And, and it obliges you to ask you, well, who knows what for? And I have to talk to him as directly as possible. If I do that, I will understand the real need from his lips, so to say. And when I get that, I go, I ask myself, well, who knows what would be enough to answer that need? In which part of the actual world is somebody already coping with that need and has obviously developed a solution? And so the innovation will be just, just to find somebody who already uses the solution that is enough for the people who didn't know. So my, my next uh, question is then, if we know, um, well, if we ask people, what, what do you need a solution for? So yeah. I, I imagine we could uh, reframe it like this. Yeah. Then... The question is, how do we measure then if how well the solution is doing? So how do we how do we? Yeah, that's basically. So how how would we measure that you know, in we, this we, framework? We, we just we just, we've just found a, a perfect moment to use an example. <laughs> okay, because great. If not, we'll will tell theory yeah. and um, I always use simple things that we have around when we have this kind of discussion to i worked on things which are very elaborate i worked for to improve the competitiveness of uh, of um, uh, gas separation units uh, in china for air liquid for example not very simple uh, i worked for to develop uh, new it systems to develop uh, uh, new versions of ERP for buying companies. I work well, so you could, but I'll use a very simple example to show you how it works. Um, one I like is um, um, you probably sit on a business chair. You have an office chair you're sitting on. So let's take that example. If we had to redesign a business chair, all right? So the first question you probably already remember that is what for and i ask one of you you probably have one probably you know what for is, is the chair you're sitting on so what will be your answer tell me scott what what is your answer what for is is your chair there's no trick just i know yeah i know um <laughs> It allows me to sit comfortably, yeah, and work. It's like the reason I hesitate is there's like this and 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 there's like this long list that I'm trying I'm trying Tell to me. keep it simple to sit comfortably. No, and work. If, if you have a complicated answer, that it's a, well, that's your answer. I have yeah. no problem. Okay, we'll have to cope with it. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's something to sit comfortably while you're working. Oh. I, I, even at the oh, moment yeah. to reflect, I would say yes. I would say, um, yeah. I think the way you rephrase it's good. Um, allows okay. me to to work comfortably for long periods of time. 
Okay. I write this down to be sure for a long period of time. So how will we measure that? That was Jonathan's question. Comfort's difficult. I mean, the- um... that's, that's not very difficult. Oh, well. If I give you a chair, you, you'll know. Okay. Right? So you, you'll tell me, well, long time, how much? You'll tell me how much time you, you, you sit on your chair. Too long. You, uh, <laughs> I would say. You know I what? Would I agree. This, I would define a... the, the too long. You know, in, that's in, cool. In like, there's two, there's two ways of thinking of it. One is literally the day. Uh, okay. So now I'm uncomfortable now. But then also there's another level of just sort of re, sort of a repetitive injury thing. So in other words, it doesn't bother me today, tomorrow, but six months from now, I'm going to start having back pr problems. So there's, there's okay. two, two levels, if that makes sense. You have a short-term uh, evaluation and long-term evaluation. Fair enough, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. So comfortable today, but then in six months, right. Yep. So you see, John, it's, it's not very difficult. If I have a person which is the right one, which is the real one, having the need, you will spend minutes and it will be okay. And we will have, I don't know if you will have a figure, but I will have a very precise evaluation system. Very simple. And Scott knows if the chair is correct or not. When he sits on it, it's, is it comfortable? Yeah. If it sits two hours, he will tell me, is it still comfortable? Yeah, but no, or yes. And then do we make a plan for six months? Well, then we'll have to need to have other ways of evaluating. I'll come back to that later. So we have an answer to our what for, for Scott. If I ask you, the both of you, the other ones, probably you'll have different answers slightly. You know what that means? If I'm a value designer, maybe you need three different chairs. If you have three different ways of expressing your need, maybe, probably, I'd better prepare three different chairs for you because you don't have exactly the same need. So I you're getting listening. to the heart of, right. of what the question that's forming in my mind. Yeah. I love every way, the way you framed up everything, but then that's exactly what I wondered about. Essentially, how do you gain confidence? I mean, if you design one for me, I might buy it, but... If yeah. we think about which is if we just pretend it's a normal yeah. distribution, which that may be a stretch, but just pretend for argument. We don't know where I am. I mean, probably in the middle, but I might not be. You might have picked somebody that was way out here. So exactly. How do, how do we how do we have confidence in how do you do? Then let's use your common sense. You know what? You have ten thousand potential customers. Well, you should have ten thousand different referentials. If it's long. Okay, how do we synthesize? It's not, not by saying, I have one, I take it, and I take that as the, the reality or the common answers. This is not right. It's never right. So do you have to spend time to design a business chair? Well, yeah. The time to be sure you understand the real needs of the people. So when, does it when, take when time? Would you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it, it looks difficult. In real life, in my real project, I do a complete redesign project in two months. And I spend about two weeks focusing on the answer to the what for, for all the people involved across the whole life cycle, 
to understand all their needs with the definition and evaluation, okay? So it's not difficult. It can be long, but when you start, you immediately see where it's going. And you know what? To sit, probably everybody has the same meaning. The comfort, you know what? There are some slight differences, but okay, let's, let, let's be sure we don't take one view of one person as the right one, but we'll discover quite quickly the curve or the different segments, and we'll come back to that. I, I'll, I'll come back to you. So we have a first answer to the what for, okay? I take it. And then my second question, you remember, it is what is enough. So you said you have to sit to work comfortably, com comfortably for a too long time, <laughs> on short time and on long term. Okay, so there are numerous things there. Uh, if I take first the two sits, which is probably a common need, right? Uh, if you tell me it's something to sit, uh, what is enough to sit? If you had nothing, what is enough to sit? If so what is nothing. enough in terms of, uh, would this be for the comfort? How, what is, no, what do you mean by what is I, enough? I just, I just, just for the function I just sitting. paid attention to split the different answers to the different dimensions. Mm. I yeah. took the first one, which is to sit. What is enough to sit? I think that uh, in terms I, of the solution, I think the answer yeah. to sit is so we, I believe you are not bringing in comfort yet. So I think exactly. So just sit, the comfort later. It's something that suspends me in space. Um, where are I'm you sitting. sure? Are like you I sure? Could, it could be a box. It could be a rock. It could be. It could be uh, air pressure. It Coming could be anything. But I'm just. I'm okay. not falling. I'm just. It holds me. In Do space. you? I, I take it. It's, you. You just understand my my point of view. Is just take the to sit. What is enough yeah. to sit? Right. Something to sit on. And you mentioned a box. And you mentioned a rock. Do you need anything at all? Anything at all to sit? Well, you need a body. But I otherwise, think, I think so. I <laughs> need think a body. You if you don't have body, you, you have nothing to, to sit. Right. So, you need a bottom. And yeah, you need something enough. to prevent gravity from, from flopping over. Okay. So, what's the simplest solution? A box, a rock. No, no. Not even the the floor. Huh? The floor. The floor. Right? Okay. Yeah. So to sit, you just need the floor. Who invented the box? What for? Do you need a box mm -hmm. or a rock? Yeah, I, I follow you. So with a with a box or a rock, that um, now you don't. You have to have a certain amount of flexibility to sit on the floor. Okay, for that's one. for the comfort thing. Right. Okay, if you're on the floor, and you need comfort, what do you need? What is enough to have these? Comfort. Yeah, your um, legs, uh, maybe. Cushion. Yeah, yeah certain a certain angles. Cushion. Cushion, is that what you meant? Back. It's too hard for your bottom on the floor? All right. Yeah. Well, if you if you were outside on the grass, maybe you need nothing, right? But no, you are, how, you are home, working, so you're not uh, on the grass. So you need something because the floor on your office is, is hard, so you need a cushion. Good point. There are probably cushions in the business chair you have. We see where it comes from. That is for the comfort part. But nothing else for the moment. 
Why did you mention a rock or a box? To hold my legs at a... Well, first of all, I was making an assumption that maybe I didn't need to make, which is that my legs would be at a more at an angle as opposed to having okay. to contort underneath me. So so you see, we are discussing the what is enough actually to sit nothing. And then we rediscover what you mean by comfortable. There is the pressure on the buttock uh, part. Okay, a cushion could be enough, but that's all. All right. Mm -hmm. And then you say, oh, yes, I, I, I thought I need to be at a, on a box or a rock. What for? Well, to have a comfortable skeleton position which is the sit position but you can sit on the floor or sit higher so then how come you really need that uh, position of your skeleton probably i make the link i think with the i need to sit a long time if yeah. you sit on the floor and you have to cross your legs you won't be comfortable very long if you sit on a rock with a cushion, you, you could you could stay much longer, maybe two, three hours, which is difficult when you're down. So we make the link with the what is the comfort? What is that? That is the, the, the situation of the skeleton. Okay. The point is, why do you want to sit? Did you really want to sit? What for do you need to sit? For me? Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, I think we need to give the, get the, the back in. I mean, at one point, your back is going to hurt. Correct. If yeah. you sit, if you don't sit. So, yeah. You, well, that's the other on option the thing you're sitting on. Is, is this Simon Sinek's why or is this uh, another kind of why? When you say uh, why do you need to sit? My question is what for? My question is what okay. for? Because it leads to the goal. Yeah. The, the, exactly. The, yeah. The, the, eliminate... the idea of Sinek is the right one. He's asking, yeah. he's trying to find the right answer, which is the goal, which is just great. Hmm. But the question why is not leading to the goal. It's leading to yeah. the goal, which is not the same. We'll yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Thinking. Yeah. But, I think the, okay. the, the why can be understood in two ways, of course. There's the exactly. why, why because purpose and why. And why... To... Exactly. exactly. So We're I, I'm totally purpose. on board with that. <laughs> that issue but, with why okay oh. cool i mean uh, now we, that we're you're going to the this. purpose and what i'm doing is i'm trying to shake your answer scott about uh, what is a chair for that is to sit okay what does that mean being on the floor with your buttock what what is what does sit mean really what is your real need i think it could could we i mean i'm now thinking that all we're talking about is, is kind of maintaining a position so i can work right yeah. And whatever yeah. kind of solution, what, it's, it's about, I want to maintain a position that allows exactly. me to do the work that I'm doing. So what is the position you want to hold? What for? Yeah. The if you kept position. pushing me, I could, I could give up on the sitting for a little bit. It's yeah. really right. to work sitting comfortably is a for long periods of time. You see? Yeah. Standing the, is another solution. Standing is another solution. Lying on the ground is another yeah. solution. Sitting is another solution. Mm -hmm. We are used to have that solution of sitting to work yeah. for long hours. Do you know why? Do you know? Do you know why? Because we work on desks. Yeah. yeah. If you are, if you are uh, a car maintainer, 
you don't sit on chairs. But you work for long hours and you don't sit. So the sitting position is uh, the position which is which people ask to have to work for long hours for office work in a room in front of a desk. So I could work standing in front of a desk, but this, the desk is too low. I could work sitting on the floor, but the desk is too high. So the chair was invented exactly at the same moment as the desk. They are completely linked. You want to hold your position, which is the working position, which allows you to have a video conference on your laptop uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a desk. And if I do it that way, it doesn't work. You know, if I do it that way, it doesn't work. Sorry, I make the movement. Maybe on the <laughs> postcard, it won't, it won't. <laughs> okay. So the sit, I want to sit because this is my position, I, my working position. Uh, the real need you want to have when you want to sit is you don't want to stand on your feet because you, if you stand on your feet, you won't stay long hours. Yeah. So you want to free your, your legs from the body of you, from the weight of your body. Okay. To sit is the comfort that the sitting position is delivering is too free. But to do that, you could sit on the floor and then you discover, yeah, but the floor is hard. So you have a need versus the position where your body is 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 on a on a on a chair or, or on the floor you want to put a cushion and then you discover that you want to be at that height to have that working condition which is okay and so you need a rock or a box uh, 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 and a cushion on the top what we are doing is by answering that question what is enough for each need and trying to come from nothing if i had nothing you will rediscover step by step the different needs that are hold to, today in the chair. Uh, the question then is, you want to if you want to have a well, so at that moment you still don't have a chair. You have a box with a cushion, right? Which is not a chair. You you have nothing for your back. You have something for your back on your chair. I see. Usually we have office chairs with uh, backs, right? What for is the back? Because it's costing a lot. What for do you need a back in a chair? So you can lean back. So, so you, you can, can lean back. Mm -hmm. But you told me you want to work. Why do you lean? Well, sometimes you need to, to rest and think about okay. something or... So I discovered that you have two needs in the chair. One need is to work and you don't need a back. You need something to okay, sit on. And sometimes you know, I'm not comfortable anymore. So I want to lean back. What is the need associated? It's about working longer. It's about removing back strain. Yes. You know, because if you like you said, you can sit on the floor and that gets uncomfortable. And you can you sit on that box need. with your cushion a bit longer, but then your back starts to strain. Right. Uh, so the back support allows you it give it buys you a bit more. It, it, everything's buying you a bit more time of comfort. Exactly. If you go from a floor all the way to a first class airplane seat, right? Where 
where that that keeps you comfortable even longer, right? And you have like a bed a continuum of solutions. It goes to the bed solution from the yeah. sitting yeah. solution to the bed, so where you completely lay. You see, um, so you have different needs at different times, and the real need is to have something which is comfortable to work on. And they have invented the back of the chair because the solution to work is not correct. Okay, because the chairs today do not allow to stand for hours, to sit for hours without any back problems. Do you know why? It's because chairs are not correctly designed. I agree. When you lay, <laughs> what happens with your skeleton? You, you remember you have a square position, a sitting position with your skeleton. And sometimes you say, yeah, I, I need to lay down with the back. This comes exactly from the position, the sitting position. Being that way, be, being uh, with flat legs and your knees uh, below and your back down, you can stay 30 minutes, 40 minutes, one hour, and then you are not correct. And you want to stand and make movement and or lay back, okay? Because the position is not correct. The right position for the body is to have not a square angle between the legs and the back. It's to have more than, you know, the, the, a more open angle. Not staying when you are on your feet and, and so your legs are aligned with your back. Not sitting with a square angle, but in the middle, okay? When you have your knees down while you sit, you are correctly seated. To do that, you need a chair without a back because you don't need it, but a chair where you can put your knees down and your, and your feet below your body, just below your body and your knees going down. You have that, I, I have a story. My grandmother was very keen on having very polite uh, grandchildren. And when we went on table in her dining room, she said, you know what, uh, the kids in my room have to stay correctly and very straight with your hands on the table. We do that in France, not in, not in UK, but it's okay. It's like that. So you have to put your, and you have to stand right during the whole dinner and, and not lay back. It doesn't, doesn't work. So she had a trick. She said, you have to sit and leave the room for the cat behind you. <laughs> She, she said that. I never understood because she didn't have a cat at that moment. So it's very, very strange. Actually, the, the thing is, when you sit on a chair, on the edge of the chair, and you leave a room between your back and the, and the back of the chair, your knees are falling down. And you never need a back. You can stay for hours in that position. Yeah. The back of the chairs is usually there because the designers of chairs have obliged you to sit square. And then you need to lay back. So you see what I do? I use only, th only two things is what for, what is enough, then the what for, and then if there's a need, what is enough, where does it come from? And I understand that the right position to work for hours is to sit on a very small bench Okay, with your knees down. Yeah, now I have I to this. show you something. I quickly need to show you. What do you? This is oh, it. Okay, <laughs> okay. 
and I sit this way, not this way, this way. So my feet are, are you know, like on a horse or a bicycle. The position on a bicycle is the right one. Hmm. What about you? Never so need a back. mess behind me. But what about that? Exactly. So sometimes switch to the ball thing. You see, so this is the exactly the same principle. You Sorry don't need a back. There, but that's. You don't need a back yeah. because your no. your skeleton will always be in the right position. Yeah. The question I oh, I often ask to to chair designers is how many how many feet do you need on a chair? Um, how many feet do you need on oh, a chair? Oh, okay. I think you need at least three. This is the engineer solution. <laughs> One. Why on earth? are the majority of chairs with four feet. I don't know. Hmm. Nobody knows. It's the only way to make them unstable if the, the earth is not flat. Oh, I have to think about that. <laughs> if you have three feet, it's always, always correct. If you have two feet, okay. If you have one foot, no problem. And the balloon is one big round foot. Hmm. So you need one point, one point to take the weight of your body. Yeah. And then why do you say you need three points, three feet? That is our gravity issue. So that you you hold the body in the position, the center of the gravity of, of the body with the three feet on the ground, and there, there's no problem. Actually, the balloon is giving you one foot. What about the two others to maintain your stability? It's my, my feet. Your feet. Mm, so you yeah. have three points. And the, the weight of the body is on the balloon. And the stability is on the feet. And that's enough. So you see that this balloon solution, which came back some years ago, it's, it's quite new, is actually the simplest chair I know. Yeah. With one foot, inflatable, you can transport it, no problem. And you sit on that and you never need a back. Compare it to the office chairs they they sell us, and you see that actually the, the 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 majority of the cost of the chair is linked to something which is not linked to the needs of the chair. So can I can I ask you something? I mean, maybe this is uh, kind of goes into a different direction, but but yeah. we are, so you mentioned before asking about. Well, you need to talk to the people who know the answer, right? Mm -hmm. To know the answer to that yeah. to that problem. And in this chair case, so is is that people sitting on chairs, or is that people that know something about ergonomics and chairs? And who knows who who knows best about the need of people who sit on chairs? Well, I I know what I would say. People that sit on chairs, but <laughs> okay. So let's take that. What happens is that. The real need I focused on after a, after a moment with that person, he says, I don't know. Because he doesn't know, he feels, but I don't know the right body position for me for hours. I don't know. So then I go to people who know best. Mm. What is the real best position for the body? For hours? And then you go to a specialist of physiology, a, a doctor, an ergonomist, uh, something. He would say, you know what? Okay, you just put your knees below. Or you go to other, you know, I mentioned uh, 
when you ask the question, what is enough to cope with the need? You go to other places where you have that need. And when you say that you need to sit for hours on something and, and being correctly seated, uh, are there other situations in life where you need to sit and you have no chair, but you have another solution? So my question... I, I mentioned one. I just finished on that. My, 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 I mentioned the bicycle. Yeah. You sit on bicycles. You don't have a chair. Do you see how simple it is to sit on a bicycle? How come it's so simple? When you look at, 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 at horse, horsemen, they have a saddle, which is a chair on a horse. They don't have a back because their needs are below. And they can stand for hours on something which is moving all the time and run for hours, no problem. Because they just stand the right way on a saddle, which is okay. So you, you see, I made the innovation in the chair domain by looking at the solution already existing where people use something else to sit in a domain where the need is obviously even more acute. Sitting on a horse, you know, it's more difficult than sitting in front of your office. And I know chair designer who took the saddle principle to make a three feet saddle, tabouret, I don't know the word in English, sorry. Stool. Stool, okay, so that's the simplest and, mm. and the, the ultimate, uh, I have two examples of the ultimate chair. And that's, uh, the balloon is one, but it's one big, um, the historical uh, optimal chair I know, it, in French, it's called the botte-cul, which is a very strange word. And actually, it's the chair that the milkman, the, the, yeah. that the farmer uses to milk the cows. And actually, is a very small thing below the back, the bottom, with only one foot, okay, one foot, and he stands on it while he milks the, the coal, all right, so at the right level, so no problem with his body, he's just sitting below the coal. And when he stands up and goes to the second coal, there is a belt where the chair, the chair is stuck to him with his, with his belt, and when he stands up, the, the, the chair comes with him, he goes to the second row, and he can just sit on the same chair without taking the chair with him. The chair comes with him. That's a historical solution for the chair that nobody ever has taken. Um, the only, uh, well, I only saw the balloon, which is the actual thing. We also have the hunting can. Uh, the hunting stool, which is something that you take to walk in the wood, and then you flip it and you sit on the thing, and then you can. So it's the simplest chair again. So this is an example to show you how you use these um, questions, what for, to look for to what is enough. And in some cases, you can't sit on the ground. I know uh, classrooms in universities where students sit on the floor and they have their computer on their knees. I know 
in Japan, people who usually sit on the floor because they're used to it. So when they go to lunch, they sit on the floor and the tables are at the level of the floor because they don't need chairs. So they have adapted the tables below. And I used exactly the same uh, mindset to go a bit further on a more serious topic, which is uh, the pilot seat. You mentioned it, Scott, I think, uh, earlier. I, I used exactly the same. No, it's, it's Jan when you mentioned who, I'm, who will I talk to. If I want to know what for is a pilot seat, well, I go to a pilot and I ask him, what do you, what for is this chair? And I look at him when he's using his office chair, yeah. which is the pilot seat. You cannot imagine what we discovered. Do you I... know how much a pilot seat is costing for an Airbus Air A2200, sorry? Now I can I can very much relate to that because uh, I mean chairs we assume them to be something so simple but we had yeah. I mean we once did a project on chairs in a car. All right, it's a whole different context again, yeah. and then it's also the question of well the chair, or kind of the uh, what's the word in English? So so for the for the pass the passenger seat, yeah. well it's seats not chairs, but the passenger yeah. seat is a lot of things, but very often it's not even a seat. So <laughs> there's very well the You're right. stuff there and so on so 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 i can really relate that that we take chairs and most of the solutions i think to be so clear in what purpose they for they 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 serve yeah but, but in fact if you go out and look and search for it you discover yeah. it's quite complex and it's anything but clear exactly and and you have to take care it's a chair to do what because the chair to do something is obviously different well the 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 driver yeah. chair and the passenger seat why Very are they different. the same the yeah, need exactly. is absolutely not the same yeah i worked uh, for car companies on the design of the headset the head uh, you know the head cushion yeah. what is strange is what for is this there are two needs be behind that the first one is security in case of crash yeah. so that you don't have your 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 head going down in case of crash. So the first invention of that car uh, headset is to avoid that your, your, your head is broken or your neck is broken when you have a crash. Uh, and so everybody needs something to take care for the crash. And then for the passenger seat, once you have something to hold your head in case of crash, there's a second need which came, obviously, when you're just the passenger well, sometimes you need to rest. You want yeah. to rest. And so it's called a headrest. Okay. But the passenger wants to rest. What about the, the driver? He never wants to, to rest. Obviously not. So why do you have a cushion for the passenger? And why do you have something which is absolutely not comfortable to rest when you're a passenger? Have you, have you ever tried to sleep in a car? It's not possible because your head will fall. Nobody, nobody, I know no car headset which is correct to yeah. sleep. Only in some planes. Where, and the, the, the thing is incredible. It's so simple. It's, 
The headrest in a car is probably one of the simplest parts of the whole car. And it's not 100 years since we have cars. Nobody designed it correctly to have a decent siesta when you're a passenger. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and in the plane, I can tell you, the, the, the pilot seat is costing, the one I worked on some years ago, was costing 15,000 euros. Can you imagine that? It's the office chair of the pilots. 15,000 euro. Yeah. My God. So what did they my, the money? My question would be now, then, yeah. if, we, if we go back a bit and uh, come out from the, the chairs uh, yeah. <laughs> universe. Yeah, example, right. Um, which I think really illustrated well the, the general approach. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was not quite clear to me, maybe you can you can uh, clarify this. When you ask the question, "What is enough?" the response to that question was, "We started with a floor, then we talked about all sorts of other yeah. different things." This, in innovation speak, is what we would call a solution. To, yeah. to, uh, to the problem. Absolutely. And as I understand it, this is something that was given to you by the user of the, of, of the, the person who is, who is the chair user. He, he has, has no. given you this solution. No. So this um, is why I'm asking, because for yeah. me, it was not very clear then in that case, um, who, when you ask the question, what is enough? Yeah. Who is answering that question? I'm desperately looking, when I use that mindset, I'm desperately looking to answer the question, who knows the answer to that need? Who knows solutions already existing about that need? I can ask the user, but probably doesn't know. I can ask some pioneer users, some have invented a solution. For example, it, it happens, but... 80% of the time, nobody in the user space knows the innovative solution. Of course, by definition, it's impossible. So the one who knows the answer to what for is enough to sit comfortably at 85 centimeters from the ground to work on my, is who else in the world, who can I find who has the same needs? and answered it before. Who else? The problem is the users, most of the time, come with a solution they know, and they want the same, but better and cheaper. Yeah. Or yeah. they ask you for a new solution that they just seen pass through the window, and I want that one. User okay, so, wants yeah. a solution. So, so, so you, you look and go out in the world to, to, to yeah. find potential existing uh, yeah. solutions to this question of what exactly. is it for? But then how do you, so how much detail do you need to get um, on the question, what is it for to actually be able to recognize um, what you're looking for? And how and, and so what are the so because obviously if we I mean the, the problem with the chair I mean it's a great example the chair because yeah. I think it really explains stuff but uh, um, often when we have examples like this it it can be that our common sense kind of um, 
makes us think we've understood the the issue when yeah. maybe maybe actually it's just we're so aware of chairs but if we talked about as you mentioned like an ERP system somewhere well these questions become much less obvious um and the answers become much less well the question is obvious but the answers are not so obvious so but so my question is when you're asking what is it for yeah is you asking to the user then he'll this person will tell you okay some kind of um, uh, goal or objective yeah. i imagine that he's uh, trying to achieve yeah. is this enough then for you to go out and go and ask what is enough to solution providers or people who might have the solution most of the time yes because what i do is a an interactive questioning uh, what i asked to scott is what for is a chair and most of the time people don't elaborate the question is to sit of course what else so i take that and i say okay what would be enough to sit and i just look at the world and i say okay if we had nothing what would be enough are they people are there people using simpler solutions or different solutions to sit? And then I see somebody sitting on the ground and say, hey, could be enough then. And I say, oh, oh, so the radical answers always are common. And uh, the thing is, I'm not looking for another chair. I'm looking for, for people who try to sit on something and I just look at on what are people sitting and then I discover the horse rider. I discover the bicycle rider. I discover the, the I discovered yeah. that the new the new theory in meeting optimization is standing meeting. Oh my god! So they use chair to have short meeting because when you have chairs, you have too long meetings. Uh, so you see that you don't need uh, an elaborate answer to the what for to find other solutions used by people. What is very strange is that the question, what for, here the answer is very obvious. Um, I'll take another one, I'll take this, I have it in my hand. What for is this? Well, to to write. Right, okay. So A pen, so you're putting up a pen. And so it's, it's a pen, oh yes, thank you. It's a very simple, big crystal pen <laughs> without publicity simplest pen you could imagine that is to write okay well if i had nothing what could i use to write are they people who use something simpler than pens to use who invented the first tools to write probably where, charcoal, where you or find? Coal, charcoal or yeah the, the, you, know, you mm, see yeah so this is very very simple so I come back to my user. Is, is charcoal enough? Oh, I'm not writing on the cave's wall. I'm writing on paper and uh, mm. write. And, uh, okay, I... so you need to do it uh, well, thinner. Okay, so the need is then, you know, precise. Charcoal could be enough it's in on, on, on the cave, uh, wall of a cave. If it's to write on a page of paper, that no, I want to write it, you know, clearer, more thinner. Uh, do I know uh, goal-like solutions that allow to write on a paper? Mm -hmm. A pencil, yeah. You see? Mm -hmm. 
I'll simply I have to say I really like this uh, this idea of this uh, kind of building from the bottom up yeah. kind of what's the simplest just as a kind of frame of mind of thinking the 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 the, the idea that a floor is the the most basic thing and then you can kind of build on that I I think that's a very nice kind of um thing to have in have in mind I was wondering, do, is that, are, are there any situations where there aren't any other existing solutions that you can uh, find out in the world? Have you encountered no, this? And if not, that. why not? I've never met that. Why is that? Why is that? Do you think? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, I didn't find it. Um, well, I worked on um, eight, 120 projects uh, and then uh, numerous other ones with students, etc. So. It's, 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 you know what, the solutions we know always were simpler before. Always. So there's always an older, simpler solution. So that's so the for, first. So, so, for example, something like, like Facebook. Yeah. Do you think this is, yeah. this is something that has, is, uh, based did we could have extrapolated from other existing take it, solutions take it. let's take it let's use it what for is facebook well yeah spy on my crush spy on, spy, <laughs> yeah, to spy on to, to stalk <laughs> people yeah you know, well no i mean facebook is is for i guess communicating and, and staying in touch with friends and family and yeah so kinds of things. okay staying in touch with friends and family did, did, well didn't you have that need before and were yes but my point is a bit different my point is how is looking at say a telephone yeah gonna help you build something like facebook to understand what more, what uh, what is the needs, what is the precise needs that led to inventing that new solution? Okay, so what is Facebook not doing then what another bar encounter would provide? Because, okay, <laughs> let's, okay, it's a benchmark. Yeah. Before Facebook, we went to the bar and had a discussion with somebody we didn't know. And well, okay, so it's kind of, yeah, but uh, they need to be my neighbor and I want to speak with somebody further. Okay, so the point of Facebook is it's allowing to have that bar discussion, somebody with I don't know hmm. around the glass. Okay, yeah. but uh, mm -hmm. you see, but, but I understand that Facebook is opening something new. You know, let's take some other example, you know, um, like not Facebook, but maybe Airbnb. The trick in Airbnb, the, you know, the, the, the revolution in the business model of Airbnb, it came from two students which were in the Palo Alto region, which wanted to go to a congress in a city where they had no room. So they wanted to rent a hotel room and all were taken. So in front of I have nobody to go there, I'd like to have uh, to have a night in that city. They ask the need is I need a I need a room for a night in that city. What would be enough? A hotel, yeah, but they're all full. So what could be enough? 
well, you know what? We are students. We are leaving our room. Maybe students in the other places are going to congresses somewhere else. What if I called my mates in that, my, my team, my schoolmate, which is in this other city, and say if there's one leaving this, which could uh, rent us his room. And they immediately understood that what is enough to spend one night in a place is to have somebody which could lend you a night there. And they just developed the software allowing the people who want a room somewhere to meet the people who offer a room somewhere. And that's all. And they revolutionized the hotel business model because before that, the only way to find a room to go somewhere is that somebody built a building and offers you the whole thing. So uh, you have numerous um, um, Uber did the same, Wikipedia is doing the same. All the digital platform systems did exactly the same. They, they say, well, there is a need that, were, that was existing before for taxis, for encyclopedias, for whatever, you see, hotels, etc. The need is this one. What is enough? Instead of building on-purpose solutions solid and try to make them profitable, you could find people offering that same solution, which are already offering that same solution, and just put these people into mm -hmm. contact with a software, which was the technical solution that allowed, that made it possible. Yeah. So I'd like to change, uh, shift gears a bit uh, as we were talking about cars before, and maybe just ask about uh, a term which I've heard come up often in this context of, uh, let's say, value analysis, engineering, etc., which is uh, function analysis. Yeah. Uh, is what is this? I, I th is this something important? And if you can, if you're able to explain I'll, it I'll in a few to, words, I'll have two. I'll have two answers. The word itself is absolutely not important. It's just known by people who know it, and who cares? Uh, but the question behind functional function analysis is be, is answering the question: What for is this thing? In my words. So what was called historically functional analysis is the, the let's try, instead of describing the thing, describing what for it is. The function of something is an expression of its goal, mm -hmm. of its purpose. So the function yeah. of something is, I, I don't want a pen, I want something to write on a paper with my left hand. That is the function of the pen, which allows me to find other solutions to write down with my hand on a paper. Yeah. Which so, is the second step, uh, what is enough? Okay. So I try yeah, to makes, simplify functional analysis by, by using the question, what for? And then you have tools. You have, okay, it's just not the question. You need to have tools to be sure you... You, you, you take the whole scope, you, you, you express it correctly, etc. And this becomes functional analysis. Well, for the people okay. who are interested, there, there are standards in functional analysis which are just currently being rewritten at European level. So, mm -hmm. and, and so the, um, 
I think now it would be might be interesting just to talk talk about. I see many similarities with jobs to be done, which is uh, something we all know well. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, yeah. this approach, and something which is very important in. Um, well, I mean, what do you think? Uh, is this basically the the same thing? Did jobs to be done basically is just a form of value engineering? How how would you look at that? Um, jobs to be done should have been uh, um, presented in one of the chapters of value management. I mean, it's one of these methodologies which have revolutionized an area in corporate thinking, which was just oh my God, this is just genius. This is pure genius, okay? Uh, when I heard Clay Christensen present that in Harvard, uh, it's just, wow, it's just crazy. But this is a reinvention, a rediscovery of something that has been invented anywhere you could look at in companies. My, my The book I, I wrote, Valerie Management, is a mosaic of 20-something methods which are using exactly that mindset. And jobs to be done is one of them. That is, when, when, when Clay Christensen or Tony Ulrich or all these specialists of GTBD speak, they say people don't buy a drilling machine, they buy uh, something to drill a hole. Of course, this is a function. Yeah. This is the what for the drilling machine. And I share that completely. The thing is, when I use the what for mindset and the value methods, you could go much further. That is the drilling machine is to drill a hole. But who needs drilling holes? You need to put a screw on the wall. But who needs a screw on a wall? You need to hang a picture. Yeah, what for? Well, you want to decorate your room. Okay, that is a real need. And you have four or five steps of what for. That means the people who design the drilling machine, if they don't take care to that, maybe they'll do a drilling machine, which is not delivering the decoration needs because they drill a great hole, but the room is destroyed, or you have dust all over, or you see? So the design of the drilling machine should be uh, carefully linked to the hole. The hole is linked to the screw. The screw is linked to the picture, and the picture is linked to the decoration. And if you have all that chain of purpose in mind, you design the right drilling machine with all the accessories. Mm -hmm. And you could come there from the sending drilling machines or going to, if you want to drill a hole, I have something for you. And then go back to the simplest solution, which is not an electric drilling machine. Because when I go in my chalet in Switzerland, I don't use a drilling machine. Okay, I put a nail in the wood. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I can go to a simplest, more sober solution or take care if I do the drilling machine to say, 
does this guy want to drill a hole or does he want to hang a picture? Then maybe I can do a radical innovation with new ways of attaching pictures on the wall, not including to drill holes that will spoil the decoration if you want to change the place of the picture. So you see, this whole area of reasoning what for what is enough is exactly the job to be done thinking. It's exactly, exactly. the same. If you, if you use the what for and the tools associated in the value methods, you may, you, you, you very simply grab the what for the drilling machine and do I need a, and do I need a core to go to the electric plug or do I put a battery? This is linked to the, what is the situation which has nothing to do with the hole? Mm -hmm. So all yeah. this design area, you see, the, the, the example of Craig Christensen is just great. People who discover this and say, yeah, of course, people don't want drilling machines. Of course, I will never buy a drilling machine anymore. Okay, so what do you want? I, 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 I want to have my picture. Mm -hmm. When you ask people exactly. what for, you, don't, you never go to the hole. You never invent the hole. Very or you invent the hole knowing that it's the best solution. And you will sell the drill or the thing to put in the wall and so that the thing is attached in the same packaged. So, so. you call this you call this chain, I think chain of purposes. I would say it's just I mean it's jobs on different levels, I would yeah. say. So kind of like I use this word is just but, exactly correct. Yeah. But uh, so when do you stop? I, I you have say, well, to, decorating I, the picture. You yeah. can, you, I mean, you can always ask, okay, what is this that for? Um, my real point is if you ask the question what for and use the trick, the principle is you have to ask to the people who know and ask them what for. So if you go to somebody who wants to buy a drilling machine, what for? It will be quite quick that he tells you I want to hang a picture because the old picture is, is awful and I want to redecorate the room. So the if you stop before the man telling you what is his real purpose, then you've missed something. Okay. So it's, so it's the, the customer you, you, knows, basically. Well, customer... Uh, okay, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> is the guy who, who goes to the shop um, and yeah, buys yeah. the drilling machine, but my wife can do that, or I, I'd better do it my way, sorry, but... Uh, the customer is not the yeah. user as a, and is not the beneficiary. In that example, the customer is the guy who purchased the drilling machine. The user yeah. is the guy who drills the hole. And maybe it's not me. It's better not. Okay. Yeah. And the beneficiary is my wife who says, oh, the wall is much nicer that way. And I need the three of them. I, uh, yeah. So, uh, so it's I jobs think... to be done for different people which have different scopes in mind. And how do we arrange that and be sure we are not lost in this ocean of needs? Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, John. So I, I think we'll we slowly get to to the end. Um, I had a few last yeah. questions which were. Uh, basically, I mean, how can people find out more about you? I, I, you mentioned you were writing a, another book. Uh, maybe you can just say a few words about that. Um, 
And yeah, how can people yeah, learn thank more? Thank you. The simplest way to find me is to go on LinkedIn and type my name. So that's very simple. There's no other one, Olaf de Emergun. Okay, so no. <laughs> so good, cool. Uh, I won't be mixed with Simon Sinek, so no problem. Um, then uh, if you go to my profile, you will see that I have, uh, I have a LinkedIn group, which is called Valeurs et Management in French, but where we have uh, nearly 2,000 people exchanging article posts, etc., on different things. And so, sorry, I have something came, that came up. Uh, so this uh, LinkedIn group is completely open. I have already things. I have a blog where I do more static presentation. And I think I have two or three about jobs to be done, job to be done, and about uh, lean, about uh, business model canvas, about blue ocean, about whatever. You have dozens of methodologies around. And I'm very happy to share all that because... Uh, people don't all need to use values design. Maybe they need job to be done because it's the tool for them. Um, so I have a lot of information to share on that. Um, if people are interested in having examples of application, I've written the book, uh, What For? And um, I put it in the electronic format. So it's free for you to get it. If you just ask for it, I'll send it for you. Okay, so you that's have a, a more complete presentation. You just ask me by mail by uh, or on my LinkedIn profile uh, for the book, and I'll be happy to share. Um, you 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 mentioned when we discussed uh, something about I was quite curious about this to, uh, that you can work on people's pain gain issues. Yeah, well, actually, the only best way I know to really learn to implement that is to implement that <laughs> on real cases, on real pain gains, on real So projects. people could, could come to you and... Well, I'm a consultant, so of course so, I can help you. Yeah. Um, the trick is, what I'm very happy to say is that for all the projects I did, more than 120 in 25 years, only two of them were not, uh, did not reach the goal, but all of them were profitable. So delivered more than what they cost, mm -hmm. all of them. It's a promise. If I don't, I pay back or I'm not paid. It's just because it works. So no issue about that. Um, so, but the, the real thing is not to have another discussion or another example, is to help. What I really like is train people or consult or make consulting so that people know how to use these simple mindsets, but are not lost in the different things. So there are some tools to learn, uh, but the trick is very simple and you just have to be trained to use it on real examples. Mm -hmm. Yours it's a, are yeah. minds. It's a frame of mind, kind of. You need to get to and then um, use a few tools which you can you see, help people with. It's just like jobs to be done. It's so simple once you've understood it. But then, uh, okay, I've understood the trick. Okay, how do I do that on my on my topic? Well, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. mm -hmm. Then you need tools. You need a little, well, help of people who've done that hundreds of times. And uh, yeah. okay, I know, do it that way. You see it. It's more adaptable to your situation.
Yeah, when the I ideas are simple, but they are not easy to to put in practice. Often, exactly. This That's, is exactly uh, the major point. It's very simple, but it's complex, and it comes to your system question probably. Yes, so I think that we'll have to leave for another time the okay. systems question because I think okay. it, it gets us into a whole new discussion. Um, I, I maybe just had a very simple quest question for you oh, yeah, before okay. we, we finish, which is imagine you, you had a, a billboard, you had access to some uh, space, advertising space on the biggest, uh, where a lot of people go by. What would you put on yeah. that billboard? What If you could write one sentence or an image or whatever, what would you put on, on that? I have a sort of baseline that I like. I'm not sure it's the right one, but it's the one I like. <laughs> it's do more good with less goods together this is really what i like and what i this is really the thing do more with good less with less goods. goods yeah exactly simple okay <laughs> little I, word yeah. of play play of words i like sorry. it very together, nice together because you need the people really need it use it uh, take benefits that need to people with to work with the designers and they need to work with the people who know the answers which are never at the same place and they have to collaborate cooperate really mm. by using this mindset okay well thank you so much Ola, for oh, coming on the product quest podcast and that concludes today's product quest podcast please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com see you next time thank you goodbye thank you so much thanks a lot thanks very much thanks a lot